Well, today I'm going to talk about the principles of giving. So let's start by getting your checkbooks out. No, I'm just... That was just a joke. Uh, you know, churches are kind of known in the past for... You've heard people say, oh, they want your money. Let me tell you something. It's true. No, it's not. It's not true. God's got plenty of money. He's got a plan. I want to share with you today some principles of giving. But the way we're going to start, though, is by sharing with you the posture of this congregation, this church, about missions. And uh, let's go right ahead and, and put the... We're going to just go through a series of slides and some short video clips. And I want to share with you a quick overview of the missions that we support as a congregation. Now, what that means is this, and if you're visiting with us, I hope you catch this. Everything that comes in financially in general contributions, tithes, that sort of thing, to the congregation here at Christian Center, the Council of Elders, along with the, the leadership and the board, everybody's in agreement, membership in agreement, we have concluded to take 10% right off the top of that. Every time we get anything in, we just take 10% off the top. It's a standard mathematical calculation for us in the office. We take 10% and we set it aside into another account for missions. And we, our heart is this, the principle of giving is that you have, to, you have to live with an open hand, right? You live with an open hand. And when God blesses us, we want to bless others. And so we designed that this 10%, one of the deals is, is we don't want to use it on ourselves. Just like when you tithe and you give to the Lord 10% of your income, you're saying, Lord, I'm not going to use this on myself. I'm going to advance your kingdom with it. I'm going to live in obedience to the principles of your word on tithing and and giving. And so I release that so that it blesses not me but someone else. Now, when you tithe to a local congregation like ours, you get some of the benefit. You know, the building's there, the heat's on, the lights work, things like that. And you've got staff that uh, is on full-time for us as a church. And so you do get some of the benefits of that tithe back to you that way. But your principle and heartfelt giving is that you open your hand and you release it. So what we do is we take the 10%, put it in a separate account, and then we pray and look for those missions and ministries that are either close to our heart. We use a certain criteria. In the past, it's been real simple. We either know them or they've gone out from us. Um, we, are, we want to be alongside their vision in helping them advance what they're doing and that they are accountable to us. They're not just strangers, and they're willing to come here and minister here or uh, stay in touch with us and communicate with us how they're doing, what they're doing. And especially, because that can look kind of negative, we want you to be accountable to us. Tell us about your financial condition. Tell us about what you're doing responsibly with your ministry. You know, we, we see it as give us a report of what you're doing just so we can evaluate whether or not you're worthy of our attention. But it's, that's not our heart. That's in there. But ours is the other side of it. We want to know their financial state and their, the benefit of their family and the state of their family because we ought to be praying for them. We need to be on their team. If they are ever hurting, we should be some of the first to find out so that we can rush to their aid. It's not that we want them to tell us in some accountability fashion that way. It's that we want to stay in regular relationship. It's a principle of like we do in ourselves. It's about relational ministry being in touch with each other. So we want them to talk to us regularly, communicate what they're doing, and if they're ever in trouble, we want them to count on us to run to their aid. Does this all make sense so far? And is that uh, something we'll fix? Okay. So we're going to start. I'm just going to run right down the list. Uh, We'll start with Jason and Cindy Friend. Friend, if I'm going to give you these uh, cell leaders, I I think we're going to include this attachment to you. Uh, It'll be a list of the websites that you can handle in your groups. Uh, although I just realized that I didn't give you that page, so I'll need to add that page to the notes before we put them up. But Jason and Cindy Friend. Jason grew up here in Big Bear. He's a regular local guy, but now he's like the missions evangelist star of the Assembly of God. He, uh, he and Cindy lived in Costa Rica for a number of years. Uh, Jason amazed me when he left here. He, he went to college to become a missionary. He went and visited in Costa Rica uh, met Cindy and his her family, married, came back. Uh, he he went to language school. Rob, you might remember this, went to Spanish language school and was preaching fluently in nine months. I mean, there's something that was just in him to minister in this arena. Uh, he came back and visited, and I said, so Jason, now that you've been there and you've been back, uh, how long do you think you're going to go for? And he, he paused and he said, probably, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 years. 
I was thinking two or three years, furlough, that kind of thing. He's, no, he was heartfelt committed to what God was calling him to do in Costa Rica. Um, after his ministry started down there, he had the largest tent ministry in in Central America. He had two semis with tents in them and took them all over the country and ministered uh, evangelistic outreaches and crusades in villages that had nothing else. So he would put up everything, and then after dark, he'd turn on his generators, and the lights would come up, and music, and his girls and his wife would dress up as clowns, and they had a whole ministry that they would put on with worship teams and everything. And... Uh, I remember him asking me, Jeff, if I brought all my tents and all my gear and set them up in Big Bear, how many people do you think would come? I said, well, probably a couple hundred. He said, every time I do this in Latin America, I have at least 10,000 people show up. I said, how does that work? He says, I'm the only thing on. He says, after dark, there's no lights, no power, there's no phone, there's no internet, there's no plate. You know, Americans have everywhere else to go and do. He says, but man, when there's a light on the horizon, it's like mosquitoes and they just flies. They just come to that. And he says, we preach the gospel and hundreds and thousands get saved and, and we work with the local churches to assimilate them. Uh, quite, a, quite a team. Jason Cindy, his, he was broadcast last week preaching Crystal Cathedral. This week he's in Argentina and uh, ministering with uh, Claudio Frison, which is one of his heroes in the Assembly of God, and uh, preaching in one large church on one weekend, another one in the following weekend, and in the middle running a five-night evangelistic crusade in Argentina. It's a, he's a go-getter. Now he's relocated back into the United States, working out of here, out of Southern California. But uh, God's using them all over the world. And so we're connected to them on a monthly basis. Second, Forerunner Ministries. This is Mark and Jan Lee Johnson, who used to be with us and led worship here in the church for probably about eight years. I always get that confused, but I think it was about eight years. Uh, they have an inner city ministry. They would go from here and minister, in the, like in Hollywood and L.A. and street ministry. And the, they go places all over the country and now in the world where others have not been. That's why their ministry is called Forerunner. They found themselves going all the time to places others weren't going. Remember when he first went to uh, New York and they went to 42nd Street? I just remember the title. I've never been to 42nd Street, but I guess if you go there, you'll meet lots of prostitutes and pimps and things like that. And they would go to 42nd Street, pull out his guitar, bring a small team with him, and just begin to worship on a street corner. And the Spirit of God would come down like an umbrella and surround them. And people would walk into that anointing, and they, they were leading prostitutes to Jesus right on the street corners, and then quick stuffing them in cars or cabs or whatever, and moving them to the other side of the city to get them away from their pimps and save their lives. Uh, just front-edge kind of stuff. And Mark's going to be with us here in the church on May 23rd, uh, just a little over a month from now. And uh, he's going to be out here in a reunion with what's called Soldiers for Jesus that used to be headquartered in uh, Redlands. And we used to hang around a lot. Rob's ministered with them down there. Wasn't it you that got your guitar stolen? I mean, down there on the streets of Hollywood? Put your guitar down, turn around, turn around, it was gone. I was like, man, the enemy just snagged a guitar. Uh, so the soldiers are getting together for a reunion in Hollywood down at the Oasis with Ron and Judy Radke. And, and Mark's going to be out for that on the Saturday, the 22nd. And he's going to come up and minister on the 23rd. And Rob, have you signed? you going to that thing? You're going to the reunion. Sweet. Uh, Mark's and Jan Lee's, they've got like three CDs out, and you can go to these websites. This one's forerunnerministries.org, and um, their thing is music. It's just music, but it's more about anointing and uh, taking people who want to go to the streets. That's what they do. These next three clips are from Texcoco. Compliments of Elise Vasquez, who just returned from Mexico City, is visiting her daughter down there and her new grandbaby, as she's so proud of. And uh, while she was there, she visited the church in Texcoco. This is Pastor Aaron de la Borda, and uh, the church is there called uh, Family Christian Centers. Years ago, they asked if they could become um, a charter church with us, and we're an independent group, we're not a denomination, so, but they wanted us to come and kind of be a covering for them. And uh, they were reaching out in different places. And uh, Aaron has, in the past, been called my twin brother, although he has darker skin than I do. And he speaks a different language and has a different mother. But we're still twins. Uh, the issue being that we have very, very similar families and very, very similar homes and number of kids and ministry stuff. And it was just a real connection for us, for me. And uh, he is my gemelo. 
And uh, so the first clip we're going to see, go ahead and put that up, is just a, an empty clip of the sanctuary uh, that they're meeting in now. And if you've seen things in the past, you will know dimensionally <coughs> things are much larger than they've been in the past. The church is growing, and uh, this is an empty view that Elise brought back for us. There's a home right here in the middle of the property. One of the brothers in the church lives there, he and his wife. And then out the hallway and up is three stories and a lot of classrooms. This is Pastor Aaron, the preaching and teaching machine. Okay, and what did he say? I'm just kidding. Uh, and this is a view of the sanctuary with it loaded. Okay, They have two services on Sunday morning. Both are just as full as this one. And uh, they also have, we have a church in Cuatro Vientos, which is out four winds, it's called. And uh, another church in Iztapalapa. They're also now going south and working in Chiapas. And just, just appointed another pastor in a church that I've never even been to yet. Um, everybody sing. The words are there. Come on. <laughs> Pastor De La Borda was frustrated here a few years back. I'd say probably maybe was it four to six years ago. I don't recall when we were in. You recall the year we went to El Salvador, Ed? When he went with us? He was on that trip with us, right? Was he there with you? Yeah. Four years ago, he was scheduled to come here to minister in the church, part of that accountability process. <laughs> And I called him. I said, look, I'm going to El Salvador to Pastor Mario Vega's church, Elim. It's the, uh, right now it is the largest church in the Western Hemisphere. It's the third largest church in the world with about 150,000 people in it, all in cell groups, 8,000 plus cell groups. And just one out of every 10 people in the entire city of a million and a half people is part of this congregation through the cell ministry. Sanctuary seats 7,000 people. So they just run services like crazy. And still, no, not all the church can be in the celebrations, but they're all in the cells. So I said, Pastor Aaron, I'm going to get your ticket, but I want to fly you to El Salvador first, and then we'll come back to the States, minister here, and then you can go home. So he met us there, and what we were part of was a leadership, a series of leadership meetings. Every night we were in this sanctuary that held 7,000 people, and it was packed full, and that we became to realize that the only people in the building were cell leaders. There was no, none of the rest of the church congregation was there. It was all cell leaders. And every night, 7,000 plus cell leaders in ministry and being ministered to. And as we were going through this process, fortunately for Aaron, who's sitting on my left, it's all in Spanish, and we're doing it through interpreters and earplugs and things like that, he keeps reaching over and punching me in the shoulder. And I'd say, what? And he'd just glare at me. And uh, I'd wait a while, and then he'd, ooh, and he'd hit me again. Like, what? And he'd just, ooh, stare at me again. I thought, what did I do? And then the break would come, and he'd just get up and disappear. And I could never find him. He was always somewhere. He was like, where's Pastor? And I don't know. He just ran off. I mean, he's lost in El Salvador somewhere. And we're going to lunch, but he'll find us, I guess. Maybe follow. We're over here, wherever you are. And so we could never find him. And he'd come back, and he'd come back, and he'd be like, and he punched me in the shoulder. Man, what? Finally, he said to me, because I'd been sending him all these cell books in Spanish and how to reorganize a church. And he told me that he was ready to quit before he was going to go on this trip, come to the States, and just kind of get his head cleared out and decide whether or not he was going to go back and resign the church. But here we are in El Salvador, and he said, I, I've been reading all these books about reorganizing the church into cells and how to cause it to come to growth and health and, and community and bondedness in the church. He said, it didn't make any sense. He said, until I got here, and now I see it. And where he was going when he disappeared, he'd go off and he'd just grab, because they're all cell leaders in the room. Seventh out, he could pick anybody who was a cell leader. They had multiple cells. And he would quiz them and talk to them, how's this work? And what are you doing? How's it going? And so he was having his own little seminar in the in the break time. And so he was slugging me because he was I needed to see this. And he would go like this. <laughs> I point at his eyes. He said, I had to see this. I had to see this. And boom. And and by the end of the week, 
I had a sore shoulder and a happy pastor. And he said, frankly, I don't even want to go with you back to the States. I just want to go home and get started. And I said, no deal. You're going with me. <laughs> so we brought him home. He ministered here and he went back. I think it was in the fall. And by February, he was pastoring two churches at the time. One in, in uh, Netzahuacuyotl. Say that three times fast. We just say Netza. And uh, the other in Texcoco, which you've seen here. One is just around the corner from his house in Nitsa. The other one's about 45 minutes to an hour away. And he's pastoring both of these churches, which is why he was burnt out, to tell you the truth. And um, by February of that next year, he had 15 cells launched in this one with 15 new leaders and 15 cells launched in this one with 15 new leaders. And the thing was, every year we had been going down there and ministering in his pastor's conferences, I kept telling him, you've got to change the way you're doing ministry because you're going to burn out. You're just going, I said, and you have such capable, it's just like here, such capable leaders sitting all around you. You need to get them working. And they want to work, and they want to serve, and they want to minister, just like our cell leaders here. And so he went and he identified them and trained them a little bit and then launched them. And now the church is just starting to explode with growth. And they've just invited Victor Vasquez and myself to come down, first time at their expense. We've always paid to take ourselves down there. They said, we're going to buy your tickets. We want you to come down 4th of July. That's the 14th anniversary of the church. He said, he told Elise that if it weren't for the support of this congregation financially for him as a pastor and for the pastor in Cuatro Vientos, uh, Pastor Mario, it wasn't for the financial support and the spiritual direction and help that we've provided in the cell ministry, he said he would have been out of ministry. He said, but now we're going strong. And so he has you to thank for this. And we're grateful for this kind of a connection in ministry. So on 4th of July, I won't be doing fireworks. I'll be doing burritos, tacos, and enchiladas, and, and pastel, and all kinds of good things. Maybe a little horchata. Horchata. Okay, next. Um, Brian Taylor. Uh, Brian Taylor is... A young man, it's kind of hard to see. I guess we kind of lost some of these lights. Uh, there's a better one. Brian, that's a, kind of an older picture of him. That's 2006, but you know, all I had. <laughs> Brian is the son of Bob and Jolene Taylor, who are our lighthouse keepers for us, sellers in the Ventura Harbor. And Brian's at the Honor Academy with Ron Luce and Teen Mania. Uh, this is a great group that uh, Ed and the guys have tied us into. And uh, he's in his second year with Honor Academy. The Otter Academy takes young people that haven't figured out what they're going to do with their lives yet. And you've heard of Acquire the Fire and these big events, youth events. That's what they lead. Uh, and so they take these young people for a year or two. If they'll give them their life for a year or two, they will just pound spiritual, biblical worldview into them. They'll help them with the big questions of life that they're facing, uh, like the ones Adam's going to face soon. And help them get a biblical foundation so that when life comes at them, they rise up and become the leaders of the next generation. So we're glad about Brian being at Honor Academy. And uh, maybe he'll get to come home and visit this summer. He's 21 years old. After this, we help Full Armor Ministries. A lot of you are familiar with Full Armor, Jim and Linda Shuck. It surprises me to think how much ministry comes out of Big Bear without us really knowing it. You know, I missed it. Okay. <laughs> There's been so many times, like at Pine Summit, I'll find out the next day that somebody like, uh, you know, Promise Keepers was hiding up at Pine Summit and we didn't know it, or Gary Smalley just went through, or uh, or something like that. I mean, we're Keith Green doing a concert years ago at Pine Summit, barefoot and bushy-haired, and nobody really knew who he was, but there he was. And a lot of ministry goes through Big Bear, and a lot of it generates here. I remember the Lord giving me a vision uh, visual, if you will, one time in a community service where all the churches were together. The young people were uh, dominantly in charge. And as I sat at the back of the room, I saw and a globe appeared in front of me. It was right there, just the earth spinning. And and then this pinpoint came down and landed in Big Bear. Boom. And as it landed, like fiber optic um, wires, whatever you call those things, I guess they're called fiber optics. Anyway, this kind of came out of that spot and began to reach around the globe, these little rays of light. And the Lord spoke to me, he says, the ministry is going to go all over the earth from this community. And I thought, praise God, that's great. Um, so 
Full Armor Ministries, Jim and Linda Shuck, live right up here in Lake William. This is their website, fullarmor.org. I like the guy. I hope you saw the guy up here. Did you see the guy up here? I like the way they do that. This ministry, it's available all over the world via, via the Internet. It's a four days a week, ten minutes a day, devotional study for families. It assists families in holding devotions with their children inside their home four days a week. It's real easy to accomplish. It's all laid out. 36 topics are already included uh, in their material. There's a little sentence right there just about three F's. There's just one topic each month, 36 over three years. You can go in there and see the topics. You can sign up for this. It's entirely free. It comes right into your email inbox every day, four days a week. And just recently, this surprised me. We, I'm on, I actually serve on their board. I don't really serve much. I just sort of, I'm on it. You know, one of those kind of boards. Once a year, you show up and the meeting's done and you go home. But we got together recently and quizzed a number of families and asked what could be better about this. And they said it needs to be a little more up to date, a little more now. And so a couple weeks ago, I'm uh, looking at my phone and I get this text real early in the morning. And it's all about joy. It's got a scripture and the joy of the Lord be your strength. That's what I thought, cool. Who sent me that? And I couldn't tell. It was just a number. And so I left it on there all day, and I deleted it. And the next day, boom, I got another one. I thought, where are these things coming from? Then I realized, oh, yeah, this is the improvement we made to this ministry. We figured out that the kids, most of them have cell phones. So why not send them on a daily basis a quick text of the topic of the day so that that night at dinner when you get together... Or when you're doing the drive-thru or whatever it is you do as a family unit and doing your devotion in the car between wrappers and french fries on your way to soccer and baseball practice, uh, that you can at least say to your kids, hey, did you get that text today of that scripture on joy? And you can keep on topic with your kids and get everybody in the same. Uh, <laughs> I was going to do a malapropism, get all your ducks on the same page. That was just a joke. Some of you won't get that. You'll get that on the way home. Anyway, get, get the family on the same page. So, full armor ministry, I, just, I recommend you go and look at this. Or if you've got friends, families that you know of that could use a devotional tool that would help them, this is an excellent one. Uh, I get it four days a week in my inbox, and I love reading it. And it's got great little stories in there for the family. It'll help you with devotions. We support these guys on a monthly basis to keep the website up, keep all these things happening. I realized that when we said we were going to text the kids and families, there's a cost involved every time a, a business sends one of these bulk texts. So every day, phew, there's another expense, you know, but it's worth what's happening. It's helping families. Uh, next is Joel Comiskey. A lot of you, how many know Joel Comiskey? Okay, some of you have not met Joel Comiskey. Joel's probably the foremost author on Cell Church in the world right now. He's written nearly 30 books. Working on another one presently. Um, I'm just beginning to realize as I say this, I'm also on his board. Uh-huh. Seems like all these ministries I end up on their boards. You know why that is? It's not because I'm such a great board member. It's because of relationship. See, our approach and your approach to being connected to these ministries is very, very highly relational. It's not about business. It's about ministry and loving each other and taking care of each other. And uh, once they get that taste, they want some kind of piece of us. And so they get me, evidently. <laughs> but Joel and I have become really good friends. Uh, we, he's um, coaching us as a church in cell ministry. It has been for some time. His daughter, Sarah, his oldest, is also at Honor Academy. And I just talked with her by email this week. And she's coming home on a break to do a transfer student interview at Biola. It looks like she's going to come back from... Um, Honor Academy and go to Biola next year. So I told her about Hannah and said, hey, we got people there already. Let's go. And uh, But Joel, we're going to run a clip from Joel being interviewed by Harvest TV and that he can talk for himself. He's got a great haircut and a nice pair of glasses. <laughs> Explosive cell growth in places like Korea, Colombia and Nigeria, but can the cell strategy work in churches in North America? Joel Comiskey is an internationally recognized church consultant and speaker who served many years as a missionary in Ecuador and is now founding pastor of a cell-based church in Southern California, and he's kind of studied the cell growth movement, church growth movement around the world. Joel, great to have you with us today. So good to be here. Now, what gets you interested in this kind of uh, study and, and research in, in the, the cell church movement? I think it's God. God had his hand on my life in this area. When I first got saved, when I first became a Christian, 
um, I was in a small group, mm-hmm. and uh, and then two years later, I was leading that group. So I was young in the Lord, but God just put me out there, and I had to lead. I had to stumble and bumble and learn, but I grew as a result. And then I planted a church in downtown Long Beach and, and heard David Cho, mm-hmm. the, the pastor of the largest church in the world, and that just got me excited yeah. about the possibilities. And then I just happened to do my research in this topic and just saw these growing cell churches and was, was just so impressed mm-hmm. in what God was doing around the world. So mm-hmm. I think it's just God's calling in my life. Yeah. For uh, some of our friends watching now, you know, Dr. David Young Cho or Paul Young Cho uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the church in Seoul, Korea, world's largest church. I think there's a familiarity there. But the cell church movement is, is really exploding in places like, like Colombia, in Nigeria, uh, in other parts of the world. Uh, Tell us a little bit about about the story of how how did this start, like in Colombia, say? Well, uh, in uh, in Colombia, it started in a home, in the home of Cesar Castellanos in 1983, and then just exploded... to where it is now, where there's 14,000 cell groups in Colombia. in this cell, one groups. cell groups, small groups, home right. groups, but then they come together on Sunday to celebrate. But um, uh, Cesar Castellanos was influenced by Cho. Mm-hmm. And in my research, I discovered that all of these great cell church pastors were influenced by David Cho. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he started his cell church in 1969, uh, right. if I remember correctly. And so what an impact he's had yeah. on the world. And I know that in, in the United States, you know, I've heard people say, well, it's not really our culture. You know, we're kind of private in our homes. We go to church on Sunday, and that's the thing. But, you know, to have kind of a, a cell mentality or a small group mentality mm-hmm. in homes just isn't going to work here. Yeah, a lot of people say that. And, uh, that's why I wrote the book, mm-hmm. um, to f- discover and to, to say to people that it really does work yeah. in the United States, in North America. There's a crying need for community in our churches to do something beyond just going to church on Sunday and hearing the sermon. We need to live our Christian lives. We need to apply God's Word in the home and also to reach out to our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so this is a perfect strategy for North America. And that's what the book is all about. Mm -hmm. Now you say in your book that you actually kind of stayed away from the whole thing up until 1996 and then then it was something that you really began to see the benefits of having. Why did you kind of stay away from it for a while? Well, um, for me, I stayed away from it because it just, um, there wasn't a lot of information on the table in North America on how it was going to work in North America. Mm -hmm. I started a church in 1983 in Long Beach, California. But, you know, there wasn't a book I could read. There weren't many churches at that time that were doing cell church in North America. So even though I tried to do it in 1983 in my church plant, I didn't know where to go. Cho was the model, but Korea is so much different than North America. So, uh, again, um, I think that now, Bethany World Prayer Center, many churches in North America are doing cell church, and there's a lot more information to help pastors that want to become small group based. Mm-hmm. Right. What does that look like here in North America, a cell, a cell church? Well, I think it looks like... Um, People meeting in homes, applying God's word, and then coming together on Sunday in hearing a pastor, hearing the apostles teaching, you might say, um, in the New Testament. You know, they met from house to house, but then they also gathered in the temple to hear the apostles teaching. And so it's very simple. It's not complicated. It's very traditional, you might say. Um, and, and so that, that's, what, uh, yeah. that's what I'm doing right now in, in uh, in California. So uh, for, for friends watching now that, that uh, maybe their church has a small group program that meets in homes, a cell church or mm-hmm. cell-based structure, uh, but they've never really plugged in, what are some of the benefits or the reasons why, as an individual believer, as part of a, a congregation, we should think about this and really maybe, maybe uh, get involved? Because the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that the pastor, the minister, is to train the lay person to do the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. And so really, the lay person, lay people, we are called to be the ministers. Mm-hmm. And so it's not the pastor's job to do the ministry. It's his job to prepare us to do the ministry. So if we're going to really 
I think, take off as people of God. We need to be doing the ministry. And the home group is the perfect place to do the ministry. We can use our gifts. We can minister. We can be the evangelists, the teachers, and so forth. And so I think that God is calling His church back to that New Testament flavor of house-to-house ministry where we're all the ministers Mm -hmm. and not just depending upon the preacher to do the work of the ministry. So as you can tell, I'm passionate about this topic. And what about the sense of community? Because, you know, churches, especially larger churches, there's a a, maybe a sense of, of disconnect or, you know, I'm just a face in the crowd. When you get down to that, that home group level, there's really where, where the, the community, the body can be built, right? No doubt about it. In our society with you know, latchkey children and so forth, we've lost that sense of community. Back in the 40s and 50s, there was more of that. Now there is a desperate need for the church to be living it out in community, and home groups offer that. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we can't just focus on community or the groups are going to stagnate. Right. There has to be outreach. We have to give that community away. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a whole chapter about community in my book, mm-hmm. but also going beyond that and giving that to way, away to our neighbors who need Jesus Christ, yeah. the only one that can save and give that community. So Joel, we'll, uh, we'll get Joel up here and you'll get to meet him. We'll have him minister here. And, and we help support his ministry, Joel Comiskey Group. You can go to that, joelcomiskeygroup.com if you want, and actually sign up for a newsletter there. It's free and dump in your inbox. And he's got, uh, in fact, this clip came off the front page of his website. So um, we, by supporting that ministry, give him the ability to to say yes to going into majority world nations. And um, he's been in Russia this year, uh, in Central America, South America. He can answer the call to go places where they can't afford to have him come uh, because we support as a non-profit. Okay, so you'll get to know some more about Joel on the way. Did you like his haircut, though? <laughs> anyway, I have to joke about him about Joel a little bit. These are the ministries we support. We talk about principles of giving. We want to give away from ourselves and help others accomplish what God's called them to do. That's our posture as a church. Hope that it's your posture as a Christian. We want to example and live it out in front of you. Now, the next section here is for Destiny Rescue. And Anthony Musser and Joey have just returned from Thailand. And I know a lot of us prayed, of course, and supported that venture with Joey to go. And so I'm going to invite Anthony to come and share uh, some download of his trip and what God did in them. And uh, this is one of the ministries that we're thinking of, you know, also including in our monthly support. We'll just roll that. We are. I mean, Joey's going to speak next. Hundreds of millions of people live without enough food, no clean water, no health care, no education. It opens the door to those without morals to prey on the vulnerable, the weak, the young, the desperate. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Destiny Rescue is out there, going undercover, identifying and rescuing children trapped in prostitution. Because without someone to rescue them, they have little chance of escaping.
which he ha have to go with every day. Banga samunaja. Bata tubas. Three, three a day. Three times per day. Today, in our care, we have girls who have had their innocence stolen in ways that most of us would find soul-destroying. Girls who come in broken and hurting, scarred from the life they were forced into. These same girls have flourished in an atmosphere of love, acceptance, security, and care. They have learned to have hope for their future, not despair and shame because of their past. We have seen young girls begin to smile and laugh again. If you come visit our homes, don't expect to see sad-faced, anxious people sitting quietly in a corner. You'll hear laughter, you'll see dancing and learning, sharing and living. Days ago, we got me and my dad got back from Thailand. We were in helping these people. We didn't actually do any rescuing, but we did what we could. Um, <coughs> uh, everybody who helped me get there, by the way, thank you a lot because it was a lot of money to fly from like up here all the way down the other side of the world. So thank you, and everybody who prayed also thank you because we definitely needed it over there. Um, uh, um, while in Thailand, I was shown quite a few pretty cool things, like the poverty of it. Well, not cool, but sad. Um, the poverty over there is pretty bad. Like the first day we were in Bangkok, we were walking down this like walkway, and like on the sides of the walkway are the like the slums, part of them, and uh, the houses are just built out of like it like whatever they could find and like it's hard to believe people actually live there um the religion over there is pretty gnarly like the buddhist monks um if you're on like a subway and they get on you're supposed to give them your seat or on a plane they get on first um and just everything over there revolves around Buddha um, and which is pretty sad because they think some person's gonna if they live a good life then they get reincarnated as like a person if they're good with a lot of money so that's kind of weird um, <laughs> uh, a lot of the people need help we were in one person who stood out to me while we were there we were in uh the Burmese border, like on the side of Thailand, uh, and there was this one guy walking around. He was so poor that, like, here you see, like, homeless people, like, and they have clothes and shoes and a cardboard sign that says "Help me." You know, there they probably can't really even afford the pen to write on the cardboard box. Um, they don't have shoes. We saw people that barely had clothes, super skinny. It's like over there they actually really are helpless and homeful, homeless. Um, and then while they're, you know, over here, you hear about the stuff and it's like, wow, it's pretty bad. But then once you're over there and you actually see the girls and like hear actually what happens, it's pretty bad. Like in Patea, Patea, there's like 22,000 brothels just in that one place um, and if you think about it if that was just one underage girl in each that's still 22,000 but if you guess 
they're all alone. There's probably ten people in each that need rescuing. So um, it's pretty sad. Uh, but to a more positive side, um, before I left, I was personally making some really stupid choices in my life that uh, I regret now. Um, and going there and seeing like what happens to people who make stupid choices, um, I see that I should, I actually want to not throw my life away because I see that if I don't, I can help these people. Um, uh, while we were there, I won't spend too long on this, but while we were there, we, uh, some of the stuff we did was to help the people out was at the kids' home. We did a cement walkway. We tore one, an old one out and put a new one in. Um, then we did tile at another, at the boys' home. Um, and then they had just, right when we, like a few months before we got there, they bought this farm for like really cheap. Um, so we went up and helped them clean it up so that they might be able to grow stuff to make money off of. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's all true. Every 26 seconds, another kid is forced into a life of prostitution. It's two million a year, I think it comes down to. But, um, yeah, um, I went there. I heard about Destiny Rescue and, and child prostitution, so right when I heard about it, I wanted to get on board. And then that's when you saw me come here a few months ago and speak about it, and my heart was just tore up for it. But then I also wanted to go there, and that's what this trip was about, to meet the people and to see if it was the real deal and maybe even move my family over if that's what the Lord wanted. But I wanted to go check it out. So I went over. It's the real deal. It's bad, worse than they could put on a video of how bad it is. And uh, But the girls are getting rescued. It's not easy. Um, how they rescue them is something that I didn't want to really be involved with because I couldn't go there as a person. You have to actually go to the brothels and pretend like you want to hire a hooker, underage hooker. And for me, I just couldn't go there. I didn't feel permission from the Lord. So I didn't do that, but they got to do that. Um, to get the girls. That's in Thailand. You go there to the just that one little city, Patea. Little pinprick on a on a map of a city with 22,000 brothels is unbelievable. But uh, you go there and uh, and you hang out all night, just cruising the streets in brothels, trying to find an underage girl. And when you do, you ask the uh, the person that's uh, kind of over them if you could take them out for a date the next night or whatever you do. And then that's when uh, that's when you present Dusky Rescue to them through an interpreter, and give them uh, give them a chance out, which I think is awesome. I mean, these girls, every time they go in a room with another man, guaranteed their mind's not thinking, "Am I going to get rescued?" It's going to be, you know, the horror. And then when somebody comes in and offers offers a way out, I think that's awesome, and I, that's why I want to be a part of this ministry as much as I can, support it, uh, or whatever. But um. I hope I don't take, I hope I don't, how much time do I got? Just take it. I didn't really want to share too much about Destiny Rescue. I call it DR because I don't say Destiny Rescue fast too well, so I'll just call it DR for you guys and me. But I wanted to share something that the Lord did in me, or kind of I should say refreshed in me, um, while I was on this trip. Um, figuring out what my purpose is. What's my purpose in, in this life as a Christian? What am I supposed to do? Um, I know what Destiny Rescue's purpose is. It's to rescue the poor and helpless, deliver them from the grasp of evil people. That's their purpose. And I ask them, you know, how often do you do that? Is it like a Monday, uh, Friday kind of a thing? And no, it's every single day. That's what we do. That's our purpose. Rescue. You know? And... I'm thinking to myself, do I got to sell everything and move over to Cambodia? Because there's a huge need for a Western uh, couple to move over there and run the ministry in Cambodia. Do I have to sell everything and move over there to 
to find my purpose? Is that my purpose? Um, just real quick, Desi Rescue was started 10 years ago on credit. They started out on a credit card. It was one man. He just said, I'm done living for this life. And now Desi Rescues are sprouting up all over the world. India, Africa, Cambodia, Thailand. You know, it's just one man just living on purpose like that. Um, when I came back from China, I thought my purpose was to make money and support missions. That's what I thought my purpose was. Um, I haven't worked for three months, so I don't have any money. <laughs> so is that my purpose? <laughs> you know, thinking about that. So I can't really fulfill my purpose. I'm just going to read to you what I wrote this morning that I felt like came from the Lord, and then I'll be done. Is what God created me for was to work for Him? Is that why He created me? The answer is no. If I ask myself what I can do for the Lord, the answer is nothing. The purpose of my life is not to do anything for Him, but to know Him. To know Christ being one with Him. You know, even Christ said the works that He did were not His own, but the Father doing it through Him. To think that you could do works for God without knowing Him is hugely putting the cart before the horse. To think on that day of judgment when people list all they have done for Him and He says, Depart from me, I never knew you, should be a huge sign to us that He is not concerned about what we can do for Him. He wants us to know Him and to be found in Him. That's it. That's my purpose. So I said, I want to take it to the next level, Lord. And he said to me, get rid of some weight. And when the Lord says that to me, I know exactly what he's talking about. It's the thing I hold on to that keeps me from fully knowing him. That counterfeit I run to that takes his place, that makes him jealous. So when he said to lose the weight, he also said, you can stay where you're at. I love you the same. But deep calls to deep and surrender is trust that my way is best. It should be so simple. If it gets in the way of your relationship with Christ, get rid of it now. I've found that in my walk with the Lord, while my whole focus and goal is knowing Him, I have so much joy and fruit just happens without effort. But when I get sidetracked by works, I lose my joy and life becomes a burden. I was not created to work. I was created to have the deepest relationship with God, the one who suffered so much to make that possible. Your job as a believer is to remain in Him. That's it. Everything else flows from that. To come to a place where you say, the works that I do are not my own, but the Father doing them through me. I'm just one with Him. That's my goal. And whatever it leads to, from a cell leader to Cambodia to tile setter, makes no difference. It will be Him doing the work, not me. And there's so much freedom in that. So, that's where I'm at. Thank you very much. That's more than a goal to be achieved. That's a lifetime right there. And I agree. I think we've all heard about explosive cell growth. Already. <laughs> and so we won't hear it again. Another ministry that we're looking at to support or come alongside of uh, to some degree is what you may have been introduced to it before is international Russian radio and television, IRRTV, and our friend Dave Ogren. And uh, it's amazing how small this circle is getting. <laughs> and uh, they've just changed their name to uh, Great Commission Media Ministries. How many of you were here when Dave shared on, on the ministry there? So a lot of you are familiar with it. They they go in to do these major mega city campaigns and uh, find the top 20 testimonies in the city. And then they do documentaries on them and then buy primetime television slots after the evening news on the most watched channels in the country. 
And then they put these people's testimonies up of how their lives were transformed by Jesus. And at the end of the documentary, just a, a number goes up on the screen. And uh, it says, call here if you want if you want to know more, if you need Jesus. Or, but they don't promote any one ministry. They don't even promote themselves, really. But they, they go in and, I don't yeah, the next one. Um, they put billboards all over the city and on buses and everywhere, and they'll get people in the streets like you and I, and they'll go door to door and hand out brochures to just everybody in the entire nation. Right now, Dave Ogren is preparing to do Guyana, South America. Uh, all it's his it's his baby. He's getting ready to do the whole country for a price tag of about forty five thousand dollars, which is amazing. That they're going to reach an entire country. For $45,000, we could become involved in that. Um, he's setting up the groundwork now, and I think the outreach is going to take place during October of this year. And uh, so that's Great Commission Ministries. And Hanu Hauka and his brother John are, are the two driving forces. Hanu uh, married a Russian gal and then got her out of Russia, and then Russian opened, and then they started going back in and ministering. Until then, they ministered from Finland by radio across the water into Russia, ministered by uh, reaching out on the radio waves. Now they're doing these TV things. They have offices and set up throughout Russia. They've got people on the inside, so if the borders close and Russia goes back under, uh, being close to the gospel and runs everybody out, which they're doing. They've already asked Billy Graham to leave and a lot of the major ministries. Russia's already asked them to exit the country. But now these guys are inside the country and well-known and respected, so God has given them a great inroad. And we believe in what they're doing. We don't do ministry the same way that they do. Uh, cell-based ministry is a lot different than the way they're doing these huge crusades or the way that Jason Friend does it. But we believe in what they're doing, and we, we're considering helping them as well. You can give us your vote of confidence at some time, whisper in my ear, say, yeah, I think we ought to be on board with them. But Hanu was just recently flying, and this is in his uh, this month's newsletter. And I just want to read this to you. How many of you saw the movie The Bucket List? Unless we saw the bucket list, I, uh, you know, I, it's hard to stand in the pulpit and recommend or not recommend movies uh, because then you go watch it. So I can't believe Pastor Jeff recommended that one. Uh, so I'm not recommending the movie, but listen to this in his newsletter. And if you go to uh, gcmediaministries.org, you can look at the rest of the newsletter. He writes, on a recent transatlantic flight, I watched a movie called The Bucket List. You may have seen it too. In the film, two men were diagnosed with cancer, share a hospital room. One of the men, a billionaire, finds his buddy's bucket list, the wish list of things to experience before you die, in the trash and decides to join his friend and to finance the bucket list before they kick the bucket. They escape the hospital ward and embark on a world tour, skydiving, test driving their dream cars, climbing pyramids, driving a motorcycle on the Great Wall of China, taking a lion safari in Africa, etc. Later, Hanu writes, an associate of mine mentioned this movie to me. What's on your bucket list, he asked. He talked about dog sledding in the Arctic, deep sea fishing, etc. It was a fun conversation, but for some reason I felt uneasy. The words of Jesus came to mind. See, Jesus had a bucket list. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Paul's bucket list was similar. I do not consider my life worthy except that I complete my run and duty that my Lord Jesus has given me. Paul continues, The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At the top of Moses' bucket list was leading Israel out of bondage to the promised land. Number one on Joshua's list was to take the city of Jericho. David seemingly had a long list. Goliath was right at the top. If the Lord were to grant us this one last year to do ministry, what would our ministry bucket list look like? And in the newsletter, he goes on to explain what their bucket list would look like. And I like that, what they've described there in the newsletter. As I say, you can go and read the rest of it online. You can sign up. They'll mail it to you at home. Uh, You can become connected with what they're doing. But I hear in this note exactly what Anthony just said. I connect the two. Don't miss the point. We're all on a bucket list of some kind. And we have to ask ourselves as whether it's our personal years that are coming to a close 
or whether it's the years before Christ comes, we need to be asking ourselves, what is life about? Who am I? What is my purpose? Uh, and in following the principles of giving today, just just to remind us that we are involved in giving into ministry. We want ministry to continue. There is not a financial problem. God has plenty of money. What happens is we lose vision. If we don't have vision, then they'll, we'll never go anywhere. But if we have vision, the vision that God gives, it breaks into our heart and our spirit as an individual and as a congregation. Or even in your cell, you can have a, a vision in your lighthouse for ministry and reaching. Your lighthouse could adopt one of these mission groups and help us meet our monthly commitment to them. There's lots of application here. But if we have vision, God will take care of the rest. If we have his heart. Listen to what Reynard Bonnke said. He said, God's, God's plan is evangelism. His great work, his thing, is to seek that which was lost. Evangelism has to be done at all costs. And God will meet those costs. In evangelism, we are working with God. Remember what Anthony was saying. Am I supposed to work for God? Says in evangelism, we are working with God, not just for Him. If we ask God to bless our plans, He may or may not do so, but He always blesses His plans. We often hear it said, we must be careful with God's money, as if He didn't have too much. The way to be careful with God's money is to lavish it on what lies nearest His heart. Billy Graham said, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. John Wesley, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Did you know that 16 of Jesus' 38 parables deal with money? And that Jesus spoke about money more than he spoke about heaven? Now, at the beginning of the service, I told you the church was only interested in your money, right? You didn't forget that, did you already? This is not a message about money. It's a message about attitude. It's a message about heart. It's a message about hearing God's heart and opening our hands to understand that giving and receiving both happen with open hands. You can't get tight-fisted. And I'm speaking specifically this morning because we're in tight times. I mean, for some of us, tight was last month. And we don't know what to call this month. Right? Things are hard. All around us. And the temptation is to close our hand. And say, I can't afford to. I can't do that. I can't help that situation. I'm taking care of my own. But the Proverbs tell us that the generous man will be made rich. The one that lives with the open hand will receive the blessing of God. The one that helps the poor and lends, the Bible says this, the man that lends to the poor, God himself will repay. And we're going to have more and more poor around us all the time. Let me close with a personal story, and uh, this from yesterday morning. I'm letting you into my checkbook. You ready? It's electronic. I use Quicken. This is not an advertising. I open my computer. It's an electronic checkbook. And, then, and if, you know, if you have one, you kind of know how you can set them up. Mine is set up so that every time I make a deposit, an old principle that I learned years and years ago when we raised our family on it still applies. Out of everything that goes in, 10% goes to tithe immediately. And then another 10% goes into an account for missions, giving. And that we practice at home, just like the church practice here. We're finding ways to give it away from ourselves and to bless others. Then a third 10% goes into a savings little savings unit. And that's for when the washing machine decides it's not going to work anymore. And then we have enough cash on hand to get another one without entering debt. Okay? So this has been a practice to learn to live on 70% of what we make for decades. It's worked for decades. Single earner home. Four kids, not a bad house, amen? I like living there. We moved into it temporarily 20 years ago. We're thinking about moving out. Now that all the kids are out, (laughs) we might stay. We'll see.
So yesterday morning I opened this on my computer screen and I am going into the left column where all these categories are and I am finding as much finances that I've got over here to pull out and dump into the general fund so that I can meet the bills we have. I get all the shekels I can find into my general. I pay all the bills I can. There are more, you know how, how we say well, there's more uh, month at the end of the money? <laughs> it's like that. And I looked, I think, where could I get some more money? That's the, what we use, currency. I look over in the left column, and there's this amount. To me, it's a big amount, sitting in the missions department. And I think, you know what? That's just about the amount I need, that we need. I haven't even told Peggy this yet. And I thought, you know, if I transfer that back into the general checking, we're good to go. And I move my mouse over to, on top of it, and then I move my mouse off of it. I said, you were not touching that. That is the future. That is the river flow. That is how you stay doing what God's called you to do. You know, it all belongs to him, not just the 10%. He, he asked for the tithe, and then the other 90% is still his too. Right? In the New Testament principle, you can tithe, but you can also understand that he owns it all. And we're stewards. We're just governors over what he gave us. And I said, I'm not taking that out of anybody else's. That's somebody else's paycheck. That's somebody else's mission money. That's, that belongs to somebody else. I just need to find out where it goes as a steward. And I'll, you know, it doesn't matter what mine, mine says. I am going to practice the principles of giving. And I know that by sowing and reaping. How many of you have ever known a farmer to go out and stand at the edge of his field and just stare at it, wait for something to come up? And he says to himself, when the first crop comes in, I'll harvest it and then I'll get going. He doesn't do that, does he? He plows, he sows first, and then he expects the harvest. And he expects more than he sowed. And you and I, in the principles of giving from Scripture, live the same way. I just want to exhort us on the way out today. Missions is important. There's plenty. We'll never meet all the need. If we pooled all of our resources today, sold all of our houses, we could still not meet the need for Destiny Rescue, one ministry. We couldn't do it. It was like the pastor that wrote to Spurgeon. You guys know Charles Spurgeon? He said, we want you to come, we want you to preach. I want you to preach on finances. I want you to help us raise money and eliminate the debt in our church. When you come, you may have your choice of staying in my, my city house, my beach home, or my townhouse. Take your pick. Spurgeon wrote back and said simply, sell one of the houses, pay the debt yourself. I thought it was great advice. We've got to get away from thinking. You know, it's okay to own things. But when things own you, something's happened. We need to live open-handed. Because we give with an open hand and we receive with an open hand. And we're just the center of a flowing stream that God wants to do. And in this time when life is tough and uh, people are out of work, we're going to need to be more and more helpful all the time. And God can use us to do that. If we have a little, we can share it. If you got two jackets, give one. It'd be like that pastor talking to that farmer. He walked up to him and said, Hey, you know, you've been such a good man all these years. I just wonder, if you had a hundred cows, would you give me fifty? And the farmer said, Well, sure I would, Pastor. He said, I thought so. If you had a hundred horses, would you give me fifty? He said, I sure would. I thought so. He said, now, if you had two pigs, would you give me one of them? And the farmer said, come on now, pastor. You know I got two pigs. (laughs) When God comes asking for your pigs, he knows what you got. And, Father, we want to put what we have. We sang songs this morning before you, Father. That talked all about surrender. The words to these songs were about giving away and kneeling before and laying down our lives. And my whole life I place in your hands, in your presence, at your throne. Everything I once held dear, I counted all as lost. Father, can you take these words and make them true for us? Not just verses. Not just songs. 
a generation rising up with selfless faith. Father, we want to commit to you that we are not owned by ourselves any longer. We've given you our lives. We're bought with a price. Thank you that you demonstrated the principle of giving to us first when, as recorded in your word, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You gave everything. Teach us how to do the same. Lord, when you come looking for our pigs, we want to be able to say they belong to you. Help us in this regard, in Jesus' name. Amen.